Oh, I don't need. Well, good morning, everyone. It's it's my privilege to be able to share with you this morning. My name's Marshall. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's great to see you here this morning. Uh, let's um, let's pray and ask God for His help to understand this part of the Bible. Father, we thank you for uh, this news that Jesus will one day return, that he will come to restore all things, that he will also come to judge, and he will judge us. Father, as we hear these words of warning, we pray that we might be ready. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we told this, uh, that this year is going to be another bad bushfire season. And already in Queensland and uh, northern parts of northern Australia in particular, we've seen some pretty bad fires already. We all know that the summer of 2019 and 20, 2020 was a horrific bushfire season. If there's one thing we've learned from that and that people keep reminding us of is that we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We need to be prepared for this uh, bushfire season. It's no good waiting for the fire to roar up um, towards your house because by then it will probably be too late. We need to be prepared beforehand. Being prepared in a bushfire is everything. It saves lives, doesn't it? For those living uh, near the bush, the message is to clear away uh, uh, flammable fuel from around your house, have your gutters cleared, have water in the tank, a water supply. Uh, all those things are essential. And then to have an evacuation plan ahead of time. They're all essential things to do before the fire comes. Well, today's passage is also about being prepared. Prepared for the king's return, for Jesus coming back. Like a fire roaring up the valley, we don't know when that day will be. But Jesus warns us to make preparations now, to be ready because he could return at any time. And when he comes, he will come in judgment. This week is really a continuation of that theme of judgment that we also saw last week. Remember, Pete led us through the passage on the seven woes. They were all about judgment on the leadership of Israel. Uh, and particularly on their leaders for their hypocrisy. Then at the end of chapter 23, Jesus laments over Jerusalem and declares that uh, because they were not willing to go God's way and he declares judgment on Jerusalem as well. Have a look at uh, chapter 23, verse 38. Jesus says, look, your house is left to you desolate, talking to Jerusalem here. And then we come to our, our chapter today, chapter 24, and it begins with Jesus saying, 
We didn't, do, didn't read the whole chapter, it was too long, but we'll be covering the whole chapter. Beginning of chapter 4 says that the temple will be destroyed. I'll have the Bible verses up uh, on the screen or you can follow in your own Bibles as well. Chapter 24, verse 2, Jesus says, Do you see all these things? He said this, he's talking to his disciples here. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here, he's pointing to the temple, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. There's a clear link here between what we just saw in uh, the end of chapter 23, where your house will be made desolate, and now Jesus says the temple will be destroyed. Judgment is coming and that the destruction of the temple is a very visible way of showing that judgment is coming to the old religious structures and its leaders, the leaders of the religious institutions. They were all being condemned by God. And what we have that follows in chapter 24 is quite a tricky series of events and signs that seem to jump between um, near history being fulfilled and the end times, events in Jerusalem and events that involve the whole world. Seems that these, these things are mixed up together. Why is that? Well, the reason is that Jesus is answering a question that the disciples ask at the beginning of the chapter. After he had just told them the temple will be destroyed, the disciples then ask in verse 3, tell us. They said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Notice there that there are really two questions that the disciples are asking when will the temple be destroyed and what will be the sign of Jesus' return? The two questions are related because they're both about judgment. One, judgment on the temple and then Jesus' return is an act of judgment on the whole world. That's why these two events are put together. Now, we haven't got time to deal with everything in this chapter. We're going to focus on Jesus' return and how we can be prepared. I've got four points this morning. The first one is that Jesus tells his disciples, don't be alarmed. Um, we're looking here at verses 4 to 14, which we didn't, we didn't read, but don't worry, I'll put the, um, the, the re passages up on the, on the screen. Jesus goes on to describe to his disciples the kind of signs to look out for for the end of the age. By the way, when Jesus uses that phrase, the end of the age, he's talking about the time leading up and involving his return. It's the end of history, the, the end of the world as we know it. The time when God will judge the living and the dead, every one of us. Where those who trust in Jesus will be saved and those who reject Jesus will be condemned. 
Well, Jesus lists a whole bunch of depressing stuff that will happen leading up to that time and he's telling his disciples not to be alarmed. Have a look at verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. And then he goes on to describe that there'll be famines, there'll be earthquakes, false prophets will come, wickedness will increase. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Sounds pretty much like what comes up on my newsfeed each morning on my phone. And then things get closer to home. For, for the believer, things are going to hot, hot up. Verse 9, Jesus says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Jesus is talking firstly to the disciples specifically, but then by extension he's talking to us, to all believers. This is something that will involve us. Jesus warns us so that we know beforehand what to expect and so that we can be prepared. We forewarn so that we don't lose heart when these things happen, but so that Jesus can equip us to do what he says in verse 13. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. But then Jesus gives us a word of comfort, verse 14. After all these depressing signs that will happen, he says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Friends, that's the final reality. That even though the world may fall apart, that wickedness seems to win at every turn, the word of the gospel is the final reality that will stand. It will be preached to the whole world. God's plan will not be thwarted. Now these signs that Jesus lists, that the end is getting close, they're not meant to be kind of a checklist that we go through to calculate when the end will come. Um, countless people have done that through history uh, and it's almost, they're, all, they're, they're all wrong. They've all been proved to be wrong. Jesus gives these um, signs not so that we can say, oh, okay, Jesus is coming back next, next year or next month. No, no, they're given as a warning of what to expect, so that when they come, we aren't thrown for six. We aren't thrown into a panic and run around like headless chooks saying, what are you doing, God? That can easily be our natural response, can't it? Because we know that God loves us and we see God's promises in the Bible to protect us and to preserve his church. But then when things seem to go pear-shaped, when persecution comes or, or we're attacked, it can seem like God's 
plans are failing. What, what's, what's happening? What's wrong? Now, in this country, fortunately, at the moment, we're not likely to be persecuted, at least not severely. We're not likely to be delivered over to death. But what we do face every day is wickedness around us getting worse. A society that sees church as irrelevant at best. And an increasing number of people see us as being on the nose, dangerous, toxic, against many of the values of our culture. And the news, friends, is that things aren't going to get better. They're going to get worse. And in the wake of that, we can feel weak and powerless. Coming here on Sundays, we might even feel cut off from reality. Irrelevant. But Jesus' word for us is don't be alarmed. Be prepared. God knows all this. His plan for all this. This is the way things will go and will continue to go. But the unseen reality is that the gospel of Jesus is the final word that will prevail. Trust in that amidst the noise of our society. Listen to Jesus and not the world. Well, as well as telling us not to be alarmed, Jesus also prepares us for what's coming by warning us not to be led astray. That's our second point, don't be led astray. And we're looking at verse 4 and 5 and then jumping to verses 23 to 28. Verse 4, Jesus says, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah and will deceive many. And then jump down to verse 23. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. We shouldn't believe any of these rumours or listen to any of these false prophets. Why not? Because when Jesus, the Messiah, the true Messiah, really does return, the whole world is going to know it. We're not going to miss it. Have a look at what Jesus says in verse 27. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will the coming so will be the coming of the Son of Man. When Jesus returns, there's no missing it. The whole world is going to know. When Jesus, Julie and I were serving in East Asia, um, we became aware of a cult called Eastern Lightning. Some of you may have heard of it. Um, and they got their name from this very verse. Uh, Eastern Lightning believe that Jesus has already returned and that he is actually a Chinese woman. Uh, it's pretty ironic that they misuse a verse of scripture that's telling us the very opposite, that when Jesus really does come, uh, the whole world will know it. Now, God willing, it's unlikely that 
any of you are going to sign up for Eastern Lightning. But even for mature believers, false messiahs and false prophets can hold an appeal. Um, Back in the dark ages when I was at Sydney Uni, um, there was a cult running rife called the Sydney Church of Christ. And they targeted Christians. They peddled a false gospel that said that if you want to be a true follower of Jesus, you had to really obey all of his commands. And of course, the only way you could do that was by becoming part of their church and going to their six meetings a week or whatever it was. They were the only true New Testament church. Now you may think, I'd I'd never fall for that. Uh, But I know Christian friends who did. Uh, they, they, They could be very persuasive, can be very persuasive hearing someone say, uh, we, we actually know how to truly follow Jesus. Jesus warns us, so we prepared. Don't be led astray. How do we do that? How do we make sure that we're not led astray? By listening carefully to Jesus and his words. And as we know him more and more, we recognise his voice. And we are able to discern and identify these wolves in sheep's clothing. What these false messiahs and false prophets do is that they always add to Jesus' words. They add to the gospel. They present a gospel plus message. And they change the very clear message that when Jesus returns, the whole world will know it. There'll be no missing it. Now, you may have noticed that we skipped um, a a whole chunk of of this chapter in verses 15 to 22. We're not going to look at this in detail, but a couple of brief comments. In 15 to 22, Jesus is changing the focus from the big picture of the end times and his return to answering the disciples' question about when the temple would be destroyed. Jesus answers by saying in verse 15 that there will be an abomination in the holy place that's spoken of by the prophet Daniel. What's this all about? Well, scholars agree that that refers back to a ruler called Antiochus Epiphanes back in 168 BC, desecrating the temple. And you think, well, why is Jesus talking about that? It's already happened. But here Jesus is obviously talking about a future event. And that future event, again, scholars are pretty much unanimous in agreeing that that's referring to the destruction of Jerusalem that involved the destruction of the temple that was going to occur in 70 AD, 40 years after Jesus was uh, talking here. The Romans sacked Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple. Now the reason why this chapter feels confusing is that this prophecy about the temple, as we uh, said earlier, is sandwiched between Jesus talking about his return. And it can be hard working out Uh, which 
is which? Is he talking about 70 AD or is he talking about the end times? Jesus does that because what ties the whole chapter together is God's judgment. The destruction of the temple, as we said before, is an act of judgment on the Jewish leaders and the corruption of the system. And Jesus' return in the end time will also be an act of judgment, a far bigger judgment of the whole world. And that brings us to our third point, the return of the king. Is looking at verses 29 to 31. As we've already seen, the whole world will know when Jesus comes. It will be terrifying. Verse 28 says that the sun will be darkened and the stars will fall from heaven. Then have a look at verse 30. Then there will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now Jesus is again referring to a very famous passage from the book of Daniel. This time from Daniel chapter 7. We won't look at it now, but that refers to one like a Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Clouds in the Old Testament are associated with God's presence and his glory. So the Son of Man coming is associated with the coming of God himself. In Daniel we're told that this Son of Man would be given dominion and that all nations will serve him. And it also comes in the context of judgment. Just before that passage in Daniel, it describes four fearsome beasts who represent evil and sin will be defeated and destroyed. And then the Son of Man comes. And here back in Matthew, in verse 30, Jesus says, All the people on earth will mourn when the Son of Man returns. That's because he will come in judgment. Now, people may think, here and now, that they can get away. Perhaps, you, perhaps even you think that you can get away with ignoring God, kind of keeping him at arm's length or actively pushing him away. But the news here is that when Jesus comes, there will be no escape. It will be a dreadful day for those who reject Jesus. And friends, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, then this is you. It may not seem like a big deal now, how you respond to Jesus, but it's very clear from Jesus' words that if you're not prepared to meet him as your king on the day he returns, that will be a day of mourning. That will be a dreadful day.
And for those of us who do worship Jesus as King, we all know people who don't trust in him, don't we? Might be friends, family, work colleagues. Knowing what that day will be like for them ought to motivate us to warn them, to pray for them, to do everything in our power to help them to hear the gospel message and to know Jesus, shouldn't it? But there's also another side of this story. Have a look at verse 31. God will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. God's elect. Remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at the parable of the wedding banquet and Jesus actually uses the words there of God's elect being the ones who accept the invitation the invitation to listen to Jesus' call and to follow him. Friends, if that's you, if you have accepted Jesus' invitation, then his return is good news because it will be a day of victory, a day when you will be gathered to see the king face to face and he will welcome you into his presence forever. Once again, Jesus says, be prepared. Be prepared for his return. Make sure that that day won't be a day of mourning and a day of terror for you, but a day of joy that you've prepared for. And that leads us to our fourth and final point. Be ready for the king. And we're looking at verses 36 to 51 here. In that passage, Jesus says, no one will know when he will return. No one will know the day or the hour. Verse 36, not the angels, not even Jesus himself will know. But only the Father knows. He will come without warning. Verse 43, like a thief in the night. 44, at an hour you don't expect. So be ready, be prepared. What does it look like to be prepared? Well, Jesus says it's like being a faithful and wise servant. Let's pick it up in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Now this certainly applies to those of us who are leaders, doesn't it? God has given us a responsibility to lead well, to nurture, to look after, to faithfully serve and to love those under our care. But it doesn't just apply to leaders. Because we are all servants who are given responsibilities. It might not be leadership at church. But you may be a parent or a spouse. 
and you are a son or a daughter. God has given you a responsibility to love and to honour and to be faithful towards those around you. In your job or in your studies. To be faith, a faithful steward with the gifts, with the resources, with the relationships that God has given you. And then at church, whatever your role, God has made you part of his body. You have a responsibility to serve and to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. It matters to the king how we live. If we think, I prayed a prayer a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, fifty years ago. I'm saved, it doesn't really matter how I live now. If we think that, then we really haven't understood the gospel. The gospel that Jesus gave his blood for us to set us apart for himself. And if we don't believe it matters, listen to the warning that Jesus gives us. Verse 48. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But friends, like the writer of the Hebrews says, I am confident of better things in your case. Jesus is our King and our Master. Be prepared. Be ready now for his return. That could be today or tomorrow or next week or next year. Be ready by making sure that today and then tomorrow and then every day after that that you are trusting in Jesus your King for forgiveness to be right with God that you are walking with Him spending your time uh, and what you spend your time doing what you spend your energy thinking about how you devote your energy your your devoting your treasure, that they're all about being a faithful and wise servant to the King. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this word of warning that you love us so much that you warn us that judgment is coming. And Lord, your desire is that each and every one of us, uh, like the faithful servants, who accept the invitation of the King. May we be like that so that the day that you return isn't a day of fear, isn't a day of horror, but a day of joy and a day of victory. Amen.